2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the road ahead for your money. Why one big name investor... Says more gains are likely ahead for stocks. We debate that with our investment committee today. Joining me for the hour. John Ajarian's here, along with Brenda Vingello, the CIO of Sand Hill Global Advisors. Steve Weiss is here. Joe Terranova is as well. And Kate Moore, the head of thematic strategy for BlackRock's global allocation team. Take you to the wall, show you where the trade currently stands straight up noon in the East. Dow's good for 276. Yields down for the third straight day. There's the 10-year note yield one. 64. So Steve Weiss, is that still the most important thing we have to worry about? Where yields are going. Mm. Just it. Well, he's frozen. So Joe Terranova, I'll ask you that question. What a great way to start.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: You, you, Sorry. in terms
1: of freezing, you're coming to me, but yeah, yields yeah, were the Mr. single Freeze. most important
3: <laughs>
1: the single most important proxy for the market has been mm. yields over the last uh, few weeks, Scott, but I think there's been a a pivot and there's been an uncomfortable pivot towards now oil seems to be leading the market. Obviously, yesterday, the deterioration in oil reflecting the concerns as it relates to COVID surges in India and Europe, that led equities lower. Today, you're seeing oil pricing uh, higher, so that's kind of giving some support to equities. So for me, overall, I had been leaning into that cyclical trade In my portfolio, I had the heavy exposure towards banks, in particular regional banks, and understanding that we've got this little bit of a dynamic change away from interest rates. I think it's time to lean back towards the middle and strike that portfolio balance.
2: All right. So Kate Moore, I want you to listen to a soundbite from Mm -hmm. a conversation we had yesterday with Eminence Capital's Ricky Sandler, sort of about the overall environment, where we currently stand after a Remarkable run, and where he thinks we can go from here. I want to talk about it on the on the other side because it hits on many different levels. Here's Ricky Sandler.
4: The amount that the government has already done, the amount that they're talking about doing uh, going forward um, are unprecedented levels, things that that nobody that has been investing in these markets have seen., uh, so um, we think that uh, the, the level of economic strength over the next eighteen months is is going to be uh, enormous. And, and so, um, you know, I don't know in terms of percentage terms, but, but a good amount. But but from a, from certainly from a timing standpoint, um, it, it doesn't feel like the right time to get off the, the, the train of the market.
2: Kate, that's what we'll focus on. What Ricky Sandler said, it doesn't feel like the right time to get off the train of the market. Does that match up with how you feel.
5: Yeah, that's right. I mean, the one thing I think, Scott, that's a little bit different is I think we're going to tread water for a little bit in the very near term. Maybe the market's going to be a little bit more range bound. We're going to see these daily rotations like today where energy industrials and banks outperform and other days like yesterday where we saw some of the tech and more long duration equities outperform. But I think Ricky made a really important point here in terms of sort of the engines Firing uh, For the economy of course we have the restart we also have you know delayed spending for lots of income cohorts and then very importantly and I think Ricky alluded to this the policy stimulus is just phenomenal as a percentage of GDP it's nearly double what we saw during the financial crisis. So you know there's a lot of reason to be pro growth and pro equity but recognizing that there are going to be these gyrations back to the point that Joe is just making in terms of you know the movements and yields.
2: And at the same time, Steve, the the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, just today said, look, I think that inflation is going to be temporary and transitory. And if it's not, we'll do what we have to do to deal with that. We'll use all the tools in our toolbox. He used the tools uh, term um, yet again. Does that make it impossible to be anything but positive on the market, like Ricky Sandler said?
6: Well, it depends where you are positive. So if you recall last week, I was very positive on the market, thought we'd see this major uptick in trading in in levels uh, the day after Powell's speech. And then I was wrong. And as I thought about why I was wrong, it's because the market's not believing its conclusion. It's focused more on what's happening real time today. So you can't say that inflation's going to go past 2%. He's saying it's transitory the markets disagree. So that's why you're seeing the continued pressure on tech. So you do have to be in the market. You can't afford not to because otherwise you're going to be in bonds and bonds are going to continue to sell off. So look, so I think it is a positive backdrop. I do agree with Kate that right now we're in a situation in the market where we're sort of in in nowhere land and the market has started to look at the negatives in terms of the glass being half empty, rather than the glass being half full. Here's why I say that. Despite the major ramp-up in vaccinations in the U.S., what was driving the market yesterday? The market was driven by the, the increasing closures in Europe, and the pandemic possibly getting out of tro- control, which I don't believe is the case. So it's not focused on the economy flying, it's focused on inflation occurring. Now those are transitory as well. So I still think Speaking to the stimulus, we're in a very good spot, but they're going to be rough points ahead, particularly with the VIX trading as low as it is right
2: now. Okay, so so Brenda, I mean, you can agree with Ricky Sandler's notion that it doesn't feel like it's the right time to get off the train, so to speak, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a runaway train either, right? He even made the point that he's taken some profits in things that have run up a lot and that he's reduced some of his – overall levels of exposure as well. you got to be pretty tactical in this market.
7: We would agree. And if we look out over the next year, or not even in the shorter term, but over the next year, I think we're still going to be grappling with this question about economic growth and how that impacts um, interest rates and inflation, especially because many investors today have never invested through an inflationary environment Or an environment where interest rates were rising. So I think it's gonna create volatility, but that in turn creates opportunity to so to your point. Scott you know I think it means you have to be a little bit more tactical so selling your winners uh, when they've moved up significantly maybe taking advantage of some of the opportunities in the market as they present themselves and I think we'll we will likely see this continued shift although I think ultimately cyclicals are going to perform better than the gross stocks but I think to the extent that we do get a gross scare whether it's be covid related or related to interest rates rising too quickly or inflation that looks like it might be here to stay i think there will be a rotation back to the growth side so i think it's important to have exposure to both Um, but here and now i think the opportunity really is is presenting itself more in the growth side than uh, than on the cyclical side
2: doc you're the one more than anybody else i think of late who's been a little more concerned about where rates are going and what the reaction in the market was going to be as a result that if rates continued to tick up You thought we could have a substantial correction in the market. Do you still feel that way?
0: I still feel that way, Scott, but now I'm not as worried about that scenario playing out. And here's why. Number one, you've got a a ship, a big cargo ship, sideways in the Suez Canal so nobody can pass. Uh, That means a lot of goods uh, that go into Europe as well as out of Europe aren't making that trip right now, Scott. That's 10% of global trade. Um, Number two, the problems they're having with the vaccine and even Angela Merkel doing that 180 on uh, the lockdowns that she had proposed over Easter. I think those are things that have put a lid on growth over there in Europe. Um, One, a natural disaster of sorts, that ship, and the other, uh, the fact that they haven't got their act together yet on vaccines. So I think that the growth, if we were both growing at the same time, Scott, The two of the three largest economies on Earth, uh, the United States and Europe, if we were just booming, then, yeah, I'd be more worried about that 185 on the 10-year, 195 and two before June. Now, I think that is mitigated by those things I just described. So I am not (coughs) as worried about that now. I think this is sort of like when you hear talk about taxes increasing. That's another way you hold inflation back. I think this has done that for the Fed. And sooner or later, they'll address that either in testimony or just in straight out uh, speeches that the Fed speaks will be making.
2: OK, so Steve Weiss, I want to focus and really fixate on, on what Ricky said about this notion of taking some profits in things that have run up a lot, even as you know, he continues to favor cyclical stocks and things that are tied to the recovery in the economy. And by the way, he's bullish on the outlook for the economy, as is the Fed chair, who just reiterated that within the last hour I've got and, and some of these holdings are in, in your portfolio, too, and, and the others. And I know our viewers. So all time highs today in, out of the cyclical space. General Motors, Whirlpool, Caterpillar, Deer, Dover, Honeywell, Jacobs Engineering, Parker, Hannifin, Snap-On, Stanley Black and Decker, United Rentals, Dow, Cortiva, Home Depot and Lowe's. I've got 52 week or multi year highs today in General Dynamics and 3M and Textron, mm. United Airlines. I mean, there's a lot of names from a lot of cross-sectors in the cyclical space, Steve. Is it time to look at these gains and do what Ricky Sandler's doing and look to take some profits and some chips off the table or not?
6: I believe that you definitely have to start looking at it. You look at Caterpillar, which is selling at 20 times forward earnings. That's if they get there. And I think that's expensive. Um, Look, if if Powell's right, we have transitory inflation, then that's not going to be good for Caterpillar. So I think those are way too valued. Now, GM, from a different story, it's still a cheap stock. And I believe you're seeing a re-rating of the auto stocks. I own GM. I own Porsche. I think those continue to go. So some of them have just moved too much. I was looking at commodity prices. Freeport, McLaren, not far off an all-time high, or at least a multi-year high. The stock has moved up twice what the price of copper has. In other words, copper's up about 13%. The stock's up 30% year to date. That's too aggressive a move, in my view, when copper prices have come back a little bit. So yeah, so you got to be taking some profits on the cyclical stocks. And also, what we're seeing now is that the high flyers in the technology world, and I've made some mistakes in the portfolio, not taking profits on some of the real (laughs) high flyers, none of those, of course, but I'm talking about some of the others that are more reasonably priced. They're not going to come back anytime soon. So I still think you can take profits there.
2: You know, I'm looking at General Motors, and I want to focus on that for, for a moment because it's been, rec- it's been recommended on this show more times than I can remember. And I'm trying to look up its historical P.E. ratio right now. Maybe the folks in the back can do that for me. I don't know off the top of my head what the, the historical uh, P.E. Uh, is on this. The stock right now, OK, has run up a lot. It's run up 37 percent in three months and FactSet tells me it's run up 170% over the last year, and it currently is a 13 P.E. So you say it's still cheap, mm-hmm. Steve. On, on what metric, right? What are our viewers supposed to hang their hats on so, after that huge run that GM, for example, is still, quote, unquote, very cheap?
6: OK, so I'm looking at forward earnings. It's not cheap on a historical basis 12 times. These companies, auto companies, typically sell it six to eight times. Uh, but as I said, you're seeing a re-rating. You don't have the massive overhang of the pension liabilities and the healthcare liabilities because they've negotiated some of those away. So you've got a better balance sheet. You've got a better grip on management. Don't forget, management's rationalized the number of brands that they're selling. So you've taken costs out there. And then when you look at EVs, you've got a pricing umbrella in terms of valuation by the Teslas of the world, by the Neos, et cetera. And as they transition more to... The EVs, which is one of the reasons why I like Porsche better, frankly, than GM, you're going to see that the mm. companies are going to be back in the, in the, I'd say, the limelight. And then finally, when you see what's happening with production and when you see how scarce semis are, that means that they don't have to give the incentives there because we've never seen this kind of demand for auto sales. So you'll have a more predictive Earnings stream with a burgeoning economy and the scarcity in production of autos. So that's why I think that nine times next year can be actually be low. But 12 times next year, I think you'd
2: be a seller of it for sure. I mean, Doc, I'm looking at things on on my list that I just read, like Deere, uh, which which currently has a a P.E. of of nearly 34. Um, That seems, you know, historically high to me. Um, There's the forward PE of 26 and we can take that number better than the one that that I just gave you. My point is that a lot of these stocks have had a great amount of multiple expansion on the belief that earnings are going to deliver in the months ahead. Now that we're moving towards the latter, if not ending stages of the pandemic that better happen to justify Mm -hmm. where these stocks currently trade. Right.
0: Yeah, that has to happen. And, you know. We've all seen situations, Scott, where um, you just uh, have too much confidence in the numbers coming through and then they don't. And there's a dramatic, not a two or three percent sell off in those names, not broad market, but in those names. And instead, you get a double digit sell off. I think some of those stocks that you just named, in particular, Deer and Cat, could be in that category. Now, on the other hand, Um, we talked about, you know, infrastructure and how it's taken a long time to work its way through Congress. Um, And that's not a criticism. That's just I think it will take many more months into the future, Scott. So I look at Cleveland Cliffs, CLF. I look at Freeport, FCX, or any of the other Vale, any of the opening stocks that stand to benefit from additional spending in those areas. These have come down anywhere from 11 to 20 percent off of their highs of just weeks ago. So I think those represent a much better place for people to go shopping than Deer and Caterpillar do, Scott. So that's why I'm focused on that side, because I I think Steve's right. I think we're going to see some of those infrastructure plays do much better, but you might have to have a little more patience because it might be out in time a little further rather than just right now. Kate Moore, what
2: about this idea of, you know, all the multiple expansion that you've gotten in so many of the stocks that our viewers own and and that all these folks own on the investment committee, right? Are are earnings, are we sure earnings are going to be good enough to justify those moves?
5: Look, I actually think consensus earnings expectations are still a little bit too, too low for for full year 2021. But I actually want to make another point here around cyclicals, which, you know, and I heard Brenda say this, there's going to be some opportunity for more performance. And John was just talking about this a little bit in terms of the resource companies and the miners, which I like and own for what it's worth. You know, I think there's more room for these things to go, but there's a lot of other stuff in this cyclical and sort of value bucket that has meaningfully ripped but with very very weak fundamentals. I mean, I think this is where, you know, Scott earnings are really going to matter this year. Maybe not in the next few months, but by the end of the year we're going to have to be focused on fundamentals. I was looking at this basket of mall-based retailers yesterday, which is up like 48% year to date. I don't know anyone, probably no one on the panel and none of, you know, our clients are considering going back to the same types of shopping behaviors they might have had in 2019. There have been these big structural shifts, which, of course, got priced aggressively throughout the course of COVID and, you know, have come off now, where I think you should be adding to those names uh, while still owning some of the cyclical, higher quality, stronger margin um, sort of resource companies to play both the infrastructure spend as well as return to activity.
2: Joe, what about Home Depot and Lowe's? They're they're on my list. Time to take any profits there. I know some, some of you have been.
1: Yeah. And and actually, I was one of the the foolish individuals that did that exact move with Home Depot. So uh, I got out way too soon. It's continuing to push higher. I do have home exposure as it relates to LPX. But no, Home Depot and Lowe's are going to continue to have tailwinds supporting them, both in terms of monetary policy and the strength of a consumer that is focusing on the home as a priority and the ability to go Home Depot and Lowe's and improve the environment that is their home.
2: Brenda, the difference now is that you know, people like Tom Lee say cyclicals are the new growth stocks, right? Growth stocks have compressed because of where interest rates have gone, so that now cyclicals are the new growth stocks in a post-war economy. That's how he puts it. Do you agree?
7: Well if you look at earnings projections for 2021 it's certainly many of those cyclical sectors are going to grow earnings much faster than traditional growth sectors. So I think that's a point you know an interesting point to consider even looking at valuation. Many of the companies in these cyclical groups are not going to be anywhere close to peak earnings in 2021. Um, and that's not what's being projected today so I think looking even looking out further. At what could potentially be possible um, is going to be a you know a theme with many of these cyclical companies. Is not you know is this the end of the road or the PS many of them are, are closer to trough earnings than peak. And so I think that's important to consider especially when looking at valuation and looking at potential earnings power of many of these companies. We have not been in a significant economic growth period for you could argue more than a decade. Um, so, you know, I think that's part of the reason why many of these value cyclical groups haven't worked for so long, but now could be their moment to shine uh, when they really do have significant growth opportunities, okay. especially from very depressed levels.
2: Let, let's, let's now pivot, talk about a cyclical stock, what some investors hope will become a growth stock again, and that's Intel. Let's take a look at a chart here. This was a stock that was leading the Dow earlier today. It had since gone negative. The CEO, Pat Gelsinger, the new CEO, was on the network just a short time ago. So they have, you know, the earnings. The call was very positive. CEO comes out and says straight up Intel is back. Let's stop there. uh, Brenda, you own Intel. You almost Mm -hmm. sold it because you were frustrated at where this company was going. Gelsinger now says it's back. Are you a believer?
7: Yeah that's right Scott we did almost sell the position and I think the important thing here with this story is that we need to you know we we needed a new leader in place which we have and we need a solid plan and, and an execution on that plan now that that's the piece that remains to be seen but I think having a solid plan in place with the hope of executing on that plan is a big part of the story here and what was lacking before. So I think that's obviously gone a long way in terms of um, providing stabilization to the stock. It's certainly performed quite well, uh, but now I think you know the, the rubber needs to re- meet, meet the road and we need to see execution on the plan um, from here on out. But we are certainly encouraged by recent developments.
2: All right, it's named a fresh pick today at, at Baird. They reiterate their outperform rating price target is 85 bucks. That represents a 33% upside. I've got a couple of investment committee members joining me now to talk about this. Jenny Harrington, Gilman Hill Asset Management, Pete Najarian. They both own the stock. Jenny, um, you've maintained all along that this was a ship that was going to turn and you were (laughs) staying with it. I'm wondering what you think today because investors may not be as convinced as you were then and with what Mr. Gelsinger had to say today.
8: I like looking at this and thinking that about how some investments are long-term and some investments are short-term. And this is a long-term one. So from the beginning, I've been saying, look, I plan to hold this for three years, maybe more. And what I loved about the call yesterday was that it built that foundation for me for long-term growth. So I really don't care if today people are being fickle and first they say, oh, I'm going to mark it up 5% and now it's going to be flat on the day. I don't care. That doesn't affect my long-term thesis. What I learned today is that they are investing for growth and you know that a lot of our investment thesis was predicated on that on that huge free cash flow generation, and now they're doing something super functional with it. What's the whole point of having free cash flow? It's three things, right? Return it to shareholders, grow, or do both. And now they've said we're not just going to return to shareholders through buybacks and dividends, but we're also going to use a lot of that to grow and position ourselves really well for the future. So for me, the whole call yesterday, thinking through this was just really wonderful, really reassuring that the long term thesis is intact. One more thing that I think is important. It was awesome to hear that their clients going forward um, as they build up these new fabs, new foundry are going to be. Amazon, Microsoft, Google, the U.S. government, you hear that support with all the chip shortages that we've had. You see how important this is to society, to the American economy. So overall, I just feel as comfortable and confident with this investment as I ever have. Okay. I'm really happy about Ber- what Bernstein, we are doing. Bernstein,
2: Stacey Rascon, forgive me um, for stepping on your toes there. Um, he's the number one rated analyst. and I know, I know you know where this is going, and then I'll get to Pete. Uh, Stacey says today, quote, the bull case remains cheap hope. He reiterates his underperform rating and a forty-three dollar price target. Do you have a response to that?
8: Yeah, I have thought a lot about this because when I was on in October with you and we were talking about Stacy and his and his super negative outlook then. You think about what's happened since then. He was wrong, right? We were right. Intel's up thirty-three percent since since you and I had that argument about Stacy's really negative Mm -hmm. call then. And one of the things that I think you need to be careful with in listening too closely to analysts is that analysts can often, they do amazing work. Stacy knows this company a thousand times better than I possibly can, right? He understands the chips way better than I ever could. But sometimes analysts get stuck in the weeds. And part of being a good portfolio manager is toggling between understanding the weeds and being in the weeds, but also moving to that 30,000 foot top down view. And that's what I tried to bring together as we invested in Intel was the 30,000-foot view, which said, this is a company that's in the top 10 contributors to S&P 500 earnings. It's trading it back then at 10 times multiple. It has huge free cash flow. It has remarkable talent at the company, an amazing board. That's going to come together in a positive way. So you have to be careful with not getting stuck too much in the weeds. You have to bring the two together as you make investment decisions.
2: Okay, so Pete and, Jerry, and I bring you so, in, and, and you've been another one who was sticking with this name uh, mm-hmm. through the depths when <laughs> Farmer Jim was selling, he was throwing in the towel. I think Stephanie Link may have done the same. Here's what mm-hmm. Jim Cramer said, okay, in response to Gelsinger saying Intel is back. Not so fast, basically. How much can you really change in a month? It's a battleship. It's nuanced. It's very hard to turn this quickly. I think he's a change from the prior CEO, but they're behind AMD. And Now, I'm paraphrasing part of this. This is a quote. Mm-hmm. Intel is not back that fast. This is a very big turn that has to happen over multi-years. OK, so are we being too optim? I mean, this is a you're willing to wait that long.
9: Well, I think the reality is this, Scott, um, even though uh, the stock has improved and, and is outpaced and N- NVIDIA and AMD and many other names out there in the chip world that get all the attention, um, it, it still trades at 12 times earnings. And to Jenny's point, look at their cash flow generation, which is uh, incredible. And I think that what I like so much about what's going on at Intel right now is the fact that It is a company that took a blueprint from Microsoft and and went after the right person to direct this company in the right way. And this is a long-term strategy. But even though it might be a long-term strategy, that doesn't mean there's not some room for maybe some expansion, some PE expansion, and maybe we get up towards that 15 level or something like that. But it looks like when Satya Nadella took over, you have experience, you've got the background. He pivoted to the growth area of cloud we're looking at basically the same sort of a blueprint pat Gelsinger had done an amazing job at at, when he was at intel for 30 years as the cto and then he moved over with vmware and we're looking at a guy who's come out and he said look it's go big or go home he's putting 20 billion dollars into this expansion they're using their cash to do that he looks at that as a hundred billion dollar opportunity out to 2025 So there's a lot of different groundwork that's been laid out there. Do I say that it's an immediate thing? Absolutely not. But is it overpriced right now, 12 times earnings, trading where it is right now? Absolutely not. And I think the most important is this. I saw so many changes today from analysts that suddenly fell in love with Intel. I think if you go back to early January, you look at Joseph Moore from Morgan Stanley. He went overweight with a 72 price target a couple of months ago. That's what's important. That's what you're listening for. And that's what I think Jenny and I were more on that camp, obviously at that, at that time, than when we were hearing from so much of the negativity. And I think when you look back and you see the third point, uh, Dan Loeb obviously was rattling things up a bit and, and mm-hmm. trying to look for some sort of change. Uh, yep. We've got some of that change I was
2: gonna I was gonna bring him up next because <laughs> you, you are not alone in mm-hmm. your optimism about what Mr. Gelsinger can do with Intel. Daniel Loeb Mm -hmm. tweeting of Third Point, of course, tweeting last night, 9, 12 PM, quote, I've never seen a new leader like Pat Gelsinger step into a new company like he has at Intel and take charge with such clear vision and articulated strategy, looking forward to its execution. I mean, okay, that Mm -hmm. says a lot. That says a lot coming from somebody like like Dan Loeb. Um, And it matches with what you and Jenny, Pete, Think about right. this company. Maybe Jenny's willing to wait a little longer than you know. Maybe you're thinking about, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. the optimism is shared.
9: It's certainly given me much more patience, and I also think it was critical last night. How great was it that Satya Nadella joined him? And to Jenny's point, all of the different mega cap companies that are now endorsing what they are doing, how they're going to go about it. I, I think that really does speak volumes about people's respect for the CEO presently of Intel and the bold move they had to make in a very short time frame with the previous ceo who was wonderful man but you know more on the financial side not so much in the in the inner works of the company itself and i think that's what makes this so critical this is somebody who's been there he's done that he's understood uh, you know the whole process this this goes into and the commitment of what they want to do right now i think the innovation side of it speaks volumes to what they see in the future in terms of they'll be providing the opportunities for others on the manufacturing side as well.
2: All right. I'm glad you guys joined us. Pete, thank you. Jenny, thanks as well. We'll see you you back on the desk soon. I know that. If we turn back to the committee, Weiss, you own Taiwan Semi. You own Micron. You own Qualcomm Mm -hmm. and Corvo and Skyworks, but you don't own Intel.
6: I don't. And, uh, you know, I, I looked at Intel and I've been very close to buying it. I think it'll come down a little bit, then I'll take a look at it. Look, here's the reality. Um... He's very well against, very well respected, regarded as brilliant. I don't dispute any of that. It's going to be three years at least, probably four years, before the fab is up and running. In the meantime, Taiwan Semi continues to entrench their position. It's not that easy to change when you're using one outsourced fab to another. And the fact that he's saying, and he used more buzzwords than I think I've heard in my entire lifetime, just as CNBC interview before. It's not that easy to get customers to change, as I said. And the fact that customers are calling him means that, okay, they want to get better pricing from TSM. So the margins that TSM sees are not the margins that Intel's going to see, because now you'll have this duopoly in the US. So in any event, the road ahead is not that easy. Mm-hmm. We see IBM and we're not comparing him to the new CEO at IBM, because I think he's a lot better. But as I look at also what VMware did during his tenure, the stock tracked, frankly, the Nasdaq, except for the last two years, when it vastly underperformed the Nasdaq. So it's a very, very heavy lift, and you're in the very early stages where that hasn't even started yet. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell everything and buy Intel here, but I'd buy it on a pullback.
2: Speaking of selling some things, Joe, you sold, if, I'm, if I recall correctly, the SMH the other day or at least within the last handful I sold of days. The,
1: so I sold the SMH and I uh, entered a position in LAM Research, which is benefiting significantly from the Intel news of last evening. Um, real quickly on Intel, I, I disagree. I think this is brilliant. I think this has nothing to do with profitability gross margins are going to decline. You're going to see uh, a decline in free cash flow generation. This is about seizing an an opportunity, seizing the moment. This is about America first. This is about if you have customers who are also your competition and you're trying to get them to pivot towards using you You're going to bring the supply chain security into the conversation. That's why Satya Nadella is sitting alongside him last night, because I think universally everyone agrees this is where we're embracing the supply chain security. And I think it's brilliant on the part of Mr. Gensler that he's gone forward and he's been the first to step out and do this.
2: All right. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. Kate Moore, thank you, as always, for being with us. We'll talk to you again soon. That's BlackRock's. Kate Moore with us today. Up next, we have a bullish call on the banks. The committee's trades are straight ahead on that. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half in two minutes.
1: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
3: Welcome
10: back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky says that the U.S. is now vaccinating between 16 and 20 million people per week, but she also says that new infections are on the rise. History made today in Boston as its new mayor was sworn in. Kim Janey is the first woman and also the first person of color to hold that position in Boston. Former mayor, Marty Walsh resigned on Monday to become President Biden's labor secretary. Pope Francis has ordered cardinals to take a 10% pay cut in order to save jobs at the Vatican. Other high-level clerics will also see salary reductions. The Pope cited lower donations during the pandemic. And they're back. The Biden's dogs have returned to the White House. Major and Champ were, of course, sent back to Delaware earlier this month after Major, quote, nipped the hand of a Secret Service agent, though the president insists that the dog's Delaware trip was not related to that incident. But, Scott, apparently Major is seeing a trainer, so... That's a good thing. I'll right. send it back to
2: you. All right, Rahel. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, Morgan Stanley's out with a bullish note today on the banks. They think the rally will continue. I want to kick this around. Maybe what's most interesting, Brenda, with this note is that of the, let's say, big name banks, Wells Fargo is the only one on the list. They like State Street and Synchrony and Amex and Signature Bank and East West Bank Corp and Citizens Financial as their top picks. None of the other so called money center banks.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah it's interesting and I think if you look out you know we're we own JP Morgan we continue to be happy owning that position obviously a big money center bank uh, but if you look out longer term um, you know beyond 2021 I think there are you know trends that suggest that a lot of new newer fintech companies are kind of nipping at the heels of banks when you look at something like a SoFi that really appeals to a younger generation Um obviously you know paypal um, and square are in getting into that business as well so i think there are a lot of companies that could take some market share away from banks over the longer term but here in the short to intermediate term i think there is still um, a great story particularly about net interest margins continuing to expand as the yield curve has steepened here um so I think there is still a story to be told on the on the uh, money center banks.
2: Now, now John, I'm, I'm not suggesting they don't like the banks a- at all. I mean, there are, the banks have run a lot. Maybe that factors into one of the reasons why mm-hmm. their top picks don't include the J.P. Morgans or Cities or Bank of America's, Goldman's, Morgan Stanley's, et cetera. What do you think of their top picks?
0: I like them, Scott. Um, and I, I would point out that um, a month ago when I told you that I was – thinking that rates were topping out, and so I was aggressively selling calls at that level. Um, For the next uh, 20 of those 30 days, it wasn't a good trade. Now it's right back to being a good trade. If we don't see that acceleration, I know we will eventually, Scott, see higher rates. I believe that. I think you believe that. Um, But if that doesn't happen for a while, if that gets stretched out into the future, then again... Um, look at how much they've pulled back just since the 17th or 18th of March. I mean, J.P. Morgan is down to only being up 1% in the last month instead of up 5.5%. Capital One, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, some of those were up double digits over that month, and now they've paired that to less than half of that. Again, I'm talking about the last 30 days. So um, I think it's all a function, Scott, of whether or not Uh, these banks continue to see that yield curve steepen as quickly as it did. And instead, if it's pushed out, I think they'll do very well. But I think it plays into my game more of being a seller of those upside Mm. calls that caps my upside, but nonetheless creates a lot of cash flow in the short term.
2: I'll tell you another really interesting call I'm looking at right now is this Bank of America upgrade of, of Bank of New York Mellon. The reason being is they had an underperform on the stock They go all the way to buy today. The target goes to 50 uh, from 43. And I should also note for you that Bank of New York Mellon today is trading at levels not seen since January of 2020. So it's been a little more than a year uh, for that stock right there, BK, which is up about 3.5% today. Up next, we have unusual activity with the Doctor Plus March, Women's History Month. All month long, we are spotlighting some of our CNBC reporters. Here's Darla Mercado on what empowers her.
8: What empowers me is my three-year-old son. He pushes me to be the best version of myself in all capacity. This is still the greatest challenge though. Often I'm wearing my mom hat, and my journalist hat at the same time. And to that effect, last spring, I toilet trained him. and still managed to crank out plenty of tax planning stories for our website. I take a lot of pride in my work and I try to be a strong, positive example for my son.
2: All right, Doc, unusual activity. You got three for me.
0: I do, Scott. I'll hit them quick. Uh, uh, The first one is Boeing 245 calls. The stock was roughly 242 this morning. Uh, They started buying the 240s, 245s, 250s that expire this week. I joined them. These are the biggest numbers we've seen in Boeing in quite a while. Um, It's not retail buying. It's institutional with a time frame of this Friday, Scott. So I'll probably be in these trades just two more days because obviously that's when they expire. Second trade, take a look at Visa. Uh, The 215 calls out there in May. The stock was 210 this morning. They're buying those 215s. We both know that stimulus checks is probably part of the story here. The other part is maybe people going back into restaurants and hopefully uh, into uh, bricks-and-mortar stores as well as online, Scott. Lastly, applied materials, AMAT. They were buying the 125 calls. That's the -the at-the-money call in April. They were also buying calls all the way up to the 135 strike. A lot of volume in here. It was 8 to 1 calls to puts. I love to see that kind of volume. So I'll probably be in these calls right around three weeks, Scott, uh, the weekly calls, like I said, the Boeing's about two days and the others, the May calls, probably four to six weeks.
2: All right, Doc. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Up next, the committee is ready to answer your questions. A few ways to reach us as well. You can tweet us with the hashtag AskHalftime and go to our Web page or you can email us. Send us a video one, too. We'll play it on the air. We're back after this. All right, let's answer your questions now. First up, Brenda, I'm coming to you from Stewart in Chicago, Mondelez. Is it a sell or a buy, sell, hold?
7: Yeah, so this is a name where 70% of revenue comes from outside of the U.S. And the company, even though they did quite well last year with organic growth, there were some supply chain disruptions, so those should Uh, you know, be on the mend as we look forward. Um, And it continues to be one of the growthier names within the consumer staples sector, yet is not trading at a premium multiple. So we still really like this name.
2: All right, Joe, I turn to you. It's from John. He's one of our regular viewers, sends in a question uh, about Adobe. Is it a great buying opportunity on the dip after its amazing earnings report? CEO was on the network within the last hour. The Joe T ETF owns it. What do you think?
1: I do think it's a tremendous opportunity. Unfortunately, right now, low quality, weaker balance sheets. That's what's favored in the market. But, Scott, this is a company, once again, that beat on revenue growth, 26% higher year-on-year versus consensus, which was 20%. Gross margin expansion, gross margins at 45%. Let's not forget, this is just not a work-from-anywhere beneficiary from 2020. This is a second half of 2021 when we see the economy recovering further and consumer employment continues to grow. This is a company that's going to benefit from it. It's got the creative cloud platform. That's going to be the critical driver. And absolutely, I think this is a stock that is going to see numbers back above $500 once again.
2: All right. So you're just telling me be a little patient and it's going to start performing again once we get to the level you suggest that we need to be in terms of the economy
1: you could endure some further downside but i still think looking back
2: that will be uh, a tremendous buy all right Joe. So thank you 451 where we're currently trading on adobe we have more trades ahead on the half and coming up, coming up today on the closing bell four big executive interviews general mills slack docusign and zoom at all starts at 3 p.m eastern time do not miss that lineup right there we'll be right back All right. Time now for the futures outlook. We are watching the dollar index after it hit a four month high earlier today. Brian Stutland has that trade for us. Where do you think it's going from here?
4: Well, Scott, the momentum has definitely been to the downside for quite some time. And the reason being, really, when you look at dollars printed over the last couple of years, about 20 percent of them. In circulation right now, just been printed in the last couple of years. So there's been reason to sell the dollar, but I think that's more of a reason to buy Bitcoin rather than sell the dollar because when you're looking at the dollar, you're comparing to the euro or the yen or a bunch of other currencies. And here we're seeing our economy open up faster. We've seen a breakout to the upside, this downward trend sort of shifting a little bit. So I'm actually a buyer here. If I see the dollar trade a little bit higher, I'm looking at the June futures. If I see them trade 92.70, I'd be a buyer. I think it gets a nice little pop up to 94.70, which is sort of the next level of resistance. Um, I'd keep a stop in at down at 91 here, basically. So I'm only risking 1,700 to make 2,000. But I think as the US economy reopens faster than places like Europe and vaccinations roll out faster here than in other parts of the world, that's going to get us back on track faster. That's going to create some demand for US dollars. And so that's where I think you see the flow in. But let's see it trade a little higher. Make sure this trend is really reversed
2: itself i mean it wasn't that long ago that, that i'm looking you know the, the 52 week high on euro dollar was 123 and it was almost at that right. level not that long ago so i mean the euro to your point has been sliding versus the dollar especially and i think for the very reasons that you say along with the outlook here and and where interest rates have gone too yes
4: yeah, Scott. i mean when you look at interest rates like you mentioned the 10-year note here trading above 160 170 in that range right now versus negative rates, let's say on the boon, is really attractive to people. We're seeing decent demand on some of the last few auctions. And that's why I think you're seeing the dollar rise, a little bit of flow into our treasuries to sub, sort of subdue these higher rates that we see right now. And that's been attractive for investors to come back into the United States.
2: All right, man. Good stuff. We'll talk to you soon. Brian Stutland, yeah. thank you. Final Trades coming up next. All right, folks, let's do Final Trades. Brenda, you first.
7: Yeah, so Danaher, this is a very high quality life sciences company that really is seeing a, a strong tailwind uh, from COVID. And as such, now the stock has really taken a break this year. So we think this presents an interesting buying opportunity.
2: OK, thank you for that. John Nigerian.
0: Nautilus, Scott, you probably remember the fitness company. Uh, they're selling off today. I think that presents a good opportunity. I bought May 17 and a half calls.
2: OK, the ETF known as Joe T.
1: So I own right now Old Dominion, which is less than a truckload. But I also think J.B. Hunt, which is a truckload, is going to see continued strength and momentum higher. Okay, Steve Weiss, what do you got for us?
6: Porsche, or Porsche as they say in this country, the stock's off from its highs. And it's good to take a rest. But I believe that it's down because of what's happening in Germany. And the company is so much more than that.
2: Great buy here. Good stuff. Good to see everybody. Thank you. The exchange is now.